You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Audrey. Um, my husband is Deddy. Um, back there we have a baby Nova and she's turning um, one this month so that's really exciting. Uh, her two words besides dad and mom are chicken for chicken. She's super obsessed with chickens and stinky which is stinky. And so I feel like those two words actually really describe her. She's often stinky and she's obsessed with uh, chickens. So um, we're just so grateful to be her parents, though. It's been a really fun year. Um, Like Riz says, we're in the series on Proverbs, and uh, Zach was heading this up and finding really themes for um, the teaching team to kind of grab a hold of, and my theme was um, actually controlling the tongue. So I feel a little sheepish about that, because if you know me, I'm characterized by being passionate, and um, that's just a nice way of saying long-winded, and opinionated, and a fancy word verbose, and maybe local word portuguese. So I have um, today um, this stopwatch, which it's been set, and um, this stopwatch, and this watch that doesn't even work, but it's just to remind me that I need to check the time. So I think we're gonna be good. I have also people planted after a certain amount of time that are gonna do like YMCA kind of hand signals to me that it's time to wrap it up. So hopefully we're, um, we're gonna do well today. Um, but yeah, so sorry to um, Andrew last time that had to cut worship short and um, the uh, <laughs> children's care workers that work double time. <laughs> They're like, it can't be that good. So, um, so yeah, we're, uh, we got two watches, we got this. So where we've been real quickly, Proverbs is uh, such an awesome book. I've been really kind of entrenched in it the last couple of uh, months because I've been listening to the Bible Project's um, podcast and they have about like nine different um, episodes. Each of them are like an hour just on conversations of that. So that's been really helped me kind of... Um, really think about the nuanced way that Proverbs is actually a part of a larger discussion within the whole Bible. And we do consider it like wisdom literature and it's kind of um, genre and classification, but really it's about so much of the vocabulary and the way that we address the fear of the Lord and the way we address wisdom in life and searching for that good life. So we're gonna talk about that today. And um, I just wanted to do a really quick recap about Proverbs itself, just in case this is your first time with us. So Proverbs is a collection of sayings, wise words, and advice, most notably arranged and contributed to by King Solomon. Solomon was King David's son and replaced him on the throne at a super young age. And this is really the famous part of his story where he asked God for wisdom And God grants him this in unmatched measures. Solomon is described as the wisest and also like richest man of his time. He's highly renowned in his time and after and serves the Lord until he ultimately kind of spirals into sin with that wealth and heaps of wives and so forth. Um, Because the wisdom he was given also was given with conditions of being faithful to Yahweh. But the key thing in that story is that there's a remarkable reverse paradigm with the story of Genesis of Adam and Eve and the fall of man. And this is obviously where um, they are uh, led to believe a lie. They lack the fear of the Lord. They take from the tree of good, um, from the knowledge of good and evil. And um, they obviously enter into shame and sin. 
You all know this. But generations later, Solomon's fear of the Lord actually brings him to seek wisdom from God, how God would grant it. And that's kind of the key point there. So he might, um, you know, know the difference between good and bad on a level that God actually gives him. It's not something that he kind of sees like Adam and Eve did of the fruit and took it from themselves. It's something that he actually approaches God and God gives him, right? So in Proverbs, this collection of wise words serves as a guide to how the world is, kind of like a reality of the world and how to live according to this good life. Um, but the fear of the Lord plays a huge role in how we achieve understanding. So it's not just like, hey, if I kind of like can repeat this in my life, it's something that, you know, can show wisdom. It's something more or less that says like, hey, can I actually receive from God as God grants it? And can I live that and walk in that um, level of wisdom? So that's kind of where we're going in the hopes. And why should Proverbs influence today? So ultimately... I just feel like in this tech age, we're bombarded with opinions and advice, and there's a lot of seemingly decent truth that's floating around from, you know, graphically aesthetic Pinterest boards to social media platforms to um, help inspire you to live a better life. And there's nothing bad about those things, and they're usually some entertaining combo of storytelling and, like, self-help that kind of um, inspire you. But in being a follower of Jesus, I just wanted to pause and say that you are a child of God, you're a conduit of the Spirit, and we're not just trying to live to be an inspired kind of better self. We're trying to live from a place of victory and resurrection and dwell in a place of hope that actually holds us within the embrace of a loving Father. And as little Christs, what Christians are translated, we're trying to constantly submit to a process of sanctification where we become like the real deal Jesus. So the significance and the seeking of wisdom within our lives points to the fact that we are reaching for a part of holkmah, which is the Hebrew word for wisdom, a word that describes part of God's nature that leads us to truth. Or in other words, being connected to his holkmah nature is finding the good life because we're connected to his goodness. So today we're going to be looking at some key verses in Proverbs and then also referencing some words of Jesus in the New Testament uh, but my hope is that this time is a tender reminder that there's always invitations for your breakthrough. We're addressing speech and words and the condition of the heart, and that might bring up some past pain where you have the tendency to run away or try to bury that. But I would just like to encourage you to pause before hiding those places or even hiding from those places, that you were meant to live a life of freedom and restoration and forgiveness. And the key to walking in those truths is understanding the good, good Father and who is actually leading you uh, to those places of healing. And oftentimes in church, I was talking with a friend about this, but we have these like unspoken norms where people kind of walk in, you know, they're wearing nice clothes, they look all put together. So if you have a lot going on in your life, you kind of feel like, oh, this is not the place for me to share about my vulnerabilities or about the struggle that I'm going through. But that's completely wrong because in this faith community, it's about other people surrounding you and helping you get to the Father where you're ultimately healed and set free, right? So I just wanted to kind of discourage you from putting on an like I'm okay face and really letting people in and to the so not okays of your life and what you're going through so that Father can really meet you in those places.
So when we close today, I'm actually going to have two very special people up to pray with us um, to end the sermon on time. And um, hopefully, you'll leave with more hope that the Father sees you. He absolutely loves you. And he's present for your pain and offers that transformational comfort and healing that only he can give. So let's pray for our time. Father, I pray today that it would be not about somehow wise or persuasive words, even though we're talking about wisdom, but it would be a demonstration of the Spirit. It would be a touch of your love. It would be a moment where people are able to hold on to something that they previously thought um, was maybe beyond hope. Father, I just thank you in advance for how you are going to love people and how you're going to bring them into transformation that is on a heart level that allows them to walk into the truth of who they were really meant to be. And I pray that uh, this wouldn't just be something that would be like, oh, that's nice, but it would be something that people were actually able to step into and claim over our lives. And that um, when Monday happens, when the nights happen, when um, different discouragement stuff happens, that you would be so present and we would be aware of your presence um, in that time, Father. Thank you for that. Amen. Okay, so the tongue is kind of where we're starting here, but the heart of the matter is kind of what we're getting to ultimately, like why this is called the conditions of the heart. So what does the tongue have to do with wisdom? Some key questions to guide us. On an obvious level, we know that holding our tongue is often associated with a level of maturity found in self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit. But on a deeper level, the authors of Proverbs point out some rather severe warnings about this role, this little piece of in our mouths. In Proverbs, the tongue is mentioned 19 times, and I have some more of the famous proverbial one-liners up on the screen. Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. That was from 15.4, 18.21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 28.23. Whoever rebukes a person in the end will gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. Interesting. Proverbs 31.26. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. That's talking about lady wisdom in the end of the book that personification of wisdom herself. So a prominent reason there's such strong theme of speech and that idea of controlling the tongue theme in Proverbs is that there are actually 134 references to build this emphasis. So it's not just on uh, mouth or lips, it's actually on words, it's on uh, speech, it's on speak itself. So all of that adds up to 134 references that have this idea of wisdom ideals interlinked with poetical language. So up at the top, I have kind of have all the markers of uh, how many times those things are used. And if you remember uh, last year, I actually gave a sermon on Psalm 23, and we talked about um, Hebrew literary devices and kind of the emphasis, the major feature of Hebrew poetry. And so I'm just going to bring that up um, one more time, that this is what we're talking about when we talk about uh, the language of poetry that leads with literary devices, that there's an emphasis based on contrast that's called antithetical parallelism. 
And what that does is it's actually constantly bringing contrast and it's, comp- it's constantly emphasizing through that literary feature. So like Proverbs 12, 18 that we talked about, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So it's constantly bringing you kind of this uh, way of life that's not so great and then this way of life that's showing you what it could be. So this is like what it could be is part of the Proverbs and the probabilities of how your life um, could be accessed in that way. And I made a little table as a visual of some of the emphasis based on contrast with the mention of lips and mouth. And so um, don't worry about like reading exactly what that says, but I just wanted you to visually see how much it's contrasted in that white column is the righteous ability, the discerning and the wise when it comes to lips and mouth. And then the right-hand side, that gray portion, is the cursed, adulterous, fool, wicked, evil, unfaithful. So that's obviously what is being showed with the lips and the mouth in regards to um, what the disaster it could bring to And these moments of contrast accentuate some pretty graphic imagery about the effect of our speech. So some of the gray portion there, a loose, wicked, or unwise tongue has dire and destructive consequences. According to these proverbs, a perverted mouth or lips showcase not only violence, but an appetite for violence. A gush evil brings strife lead to death, work ruin, destroys neighbors and cities with your lips and your mouth. So not something to be taken lightly if we also take to heart that verse about the power the tongue has in life and death. But overall, within these contrasts, you'll see there's a level of urgency in the tone used. And uh, these verses also show like a level of tactical knowledge of how the enemy steals, kills, and destroys through the tongue. So a lot of the ways that he actually is destroying um, or trying to destroy our lives is through lies and what you believe. So part of this sermon is also about you kind of thinking about, so it's a little metacognitively, thinking about thinking, but thinking about what in your head you tell yourself too when you look in the mirror or when you fail or when you're lonely or when you're rejected. What is going through your head at that moment? Most times for me, there's definitely a susceptibility I have when I feel vulnerable that's like 98% lies. And I have to just say them to be able to renounce them and be like, that's not truth. And then I have to listen to the Father and say, what is truth? Or I have to go to scripture and say, what is truth to replace that lie? So a lot of this is about this understanding of the damage that can be done. But the understanding also of uh, the other side, this kind of level, is that there's wise lips, right, and mouth, and there's a fountain of life, one that saves, one better than gold or rubies, one that nourishes, preserves knowledge, does not betray justice. So this is the picture of life that we're kind of aiming for in this hokmah. And as mentioned um, before, right, this is about Uh, probabilities. This is not promises of like, if you for sure will do this, then this will happen in your life. This is most likely like how the world kind of is. But in a sense here, Jesus really hits this home when he uh, says in Luke 6.45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
And in this quote, this is a time when Jesus has healed someone. Um, he's delivered a demon from a man. And the Pharisees, in their minds, have been thinking like, oh, this guy is from the devil. And then Jesus, you know, I, don't you love it when the Pharisees think something in their mind and then Jesus addresses it out loud? I always, would, I always think about like, oh, I wish I could see their faces. But um, ultimately, he's like, hey, listen, you know, a kingdom divided against itself uh, will fall. So obviously, if I delivered someone from a demon, I'm not from the devil. But he's bringing home this idea of uh, the power of life, obviously, in the mouth. But where that life actually comes from is not just the mouth or lips or this idea of what you're saying, but actually what is inside. And so he talks about this fundamental connection of our mouth and the condition of our hearts. And another, the same verse underneath is from the English Standard Version. It says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So he goes on in Matthew 15 to talk about what comes out of your mouth is from your heart. It's not what you put into your mouth. It's actually what is in your heart that comes out. That's a revelation of what is in your heart. But if you have grown up in the church, specifically, let's just say youth group and different other things, and people say to check your heart, that is like a Christianese way of saying like, hey, you know, how are you doing? Check your heart, whatever. But to check your heart is also to check your speech in this way. That's an indication of what you're saying is what's inside of you. And so with that, uh, the heart brings us to this really prominent feature of Proverbs. It's mentioned 75 times in 31 chapters. And the authors appeal and implore listeners to specifically apply their hearts to wisdom to direct their hearts in this way or that way, to let wisdom live and be written in their hearts, to trust in the Lord with all their heart, and on and on and on addressing the heart as the real avenue for transformation. So it kind of was like, this is about, you know, controlling the tongue, which is about lips and your mouth and the power that you have to either bring life or death, and this is obviously where that's coming from, is in your heart, and your heart is the way that actually is what's happening. So. Proverbs 4.23 centralizes this well in uh, saying, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. And I have a couple of versions here just to show you kind of, it's, it feels like it's more of a nuanced understanding when you look at a lot of different versions. So um, that was from the CSB. The ESV says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. NASB says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. NLT, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And the ASB says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So these different versions give you a sense of not just encouragement to steward your heart, but actively and vigilantly safeguard and protect your heart at all costs. So it's a very, very... I would say, specific uh, proverb in addressing the level of security that you need over this uh, specific part of your heart or specific part of your body. And to probe that question a little bit, what does the tongue have to do with wisdom? We can see how our speech is an accurate reflection of what's going on in our hearts, and our hearts are the source of those springs of life that determine the course of our life. And in other words, you know, everything mentioned about speech or lips or mouth or words in Proverbs, those 134 warnings and wise sayings are ultimately and meaningfully about your heart and the condition of your heart. Because it's obviously not just about what you say, but where those words are coming from. 
So let's kind of pause real quickly and talk about what is the heart. A biblical understanding of the heart is that the heart accounts for our mind, emotions, and will. And beyond, obviously, just the physical organ in our chest that circulates uh, oxygen and blood, um, as described by a biblical dictionary, the heart denotes the center of all physical and spiritual life, the vigor and sense of physical life, as it is the foundation and seat of the thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, endeavors of the understanding, and the faculty and seat of intelligence of will and character. So super deep and complex and worth our attention. And in that idea of kind of the heart encompassing all of those things, we see how the Lord could minister to us on so many different levels, but they all somehow lead back to this understanding of the heart being involved, of if you're going to be involved in inner healing, if you're going to be involved in uh, working through trauma, if you're going to be involved in even working through offense or any of those things, it has to address a heart level to actually get to this understanding of, you know, what God is doing and transforming the whole part of you. And uh, this next part um, includes some conversations with my parents about the heart and um, a little backstory into their journey. Their church, um, Home Honolulu here, has been, um, yeah, yee, <laughs> has been on the topic of living from a place of sonship and the heart for the past five years, or actually more than five years. And recently, both of my parents have been receiving some pretty incredible healing and revelation and I wanted to share some of the recent conversations I've been having with them and have them pray over us to close the sermon because there's so much power in people's testimony and bringing that and releasing that over uh, other people. And so uh, I would love if, um, you know, uh, they could do that in the end. So they're going to be, I asked them to do that, so they've um, agreed to do that. And my dad um, just gave a really great sermon on the heart. And so we've been... Um, I've been given permission to also like steal things from his teaching. So I asked him like, oh, can you tell me about that, whatever, and then I was like taking notes. I'm like, also, can I steal that? Thank you, yes. So um, a lot of this is from him, but I do give credit, I do give credit. So on the topic of the heart, um, my dad likes to emphasize that the heart is what God sees, what God looks at when he sees you and I. And as he mentioned, obviously this idea is not new. First Samuel 16, 7 says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And this part of the story Samuel is going to the sons of Jesse, and he sees this burly of a man, and he's like, oh, this is for sure the next king, or not the next king, but the king of Israel, and then the Lord's like, no, 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 I actually look at the heart, not the outward appearance, and he's referencing David, who's out in the field um, shepherding sheep, right? First Chronicles 28.9 says, for the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. Jeremiah 17.10 I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. Now, why this is important to kind of think about is all those things that we mentioned before with uh, what the heart is, that fountain and seed of thoughts, passion, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, endeavors. When the Lord looks at you, he sees all of those, which is pretty crazy. It's kind of a vulnerable place. Like, what if someone saw you and they saw all of that in one instant? It'd be kind of crazy. But the Lord sees that and he loves you still. 
So we're going to get into more of that. But that is what he sees when he sees you. And if God considers your heart the truest sense of your being, then it must naturally be the focal point of your transformation and healing. And as the ASV suggests in that 423 verse, we're talking about Proverbs, it's the place of addressing the issues of life. And sometimes the glaring or pressing issues in your life are like what my dad likes to call a dashboard of your heart. You know, like in your car when you have all those different things and sometimes certain things light up and you're like, oh no, it's the engine light, right? Is this going to be like a little like, oh, you know, that just comes on or is it like, oh, this totals your car, right? There's all those, those, those kind of differences when it comes to old cars. But the dashboard of your heart is kind of like um, that mental map of where the Lord highlights areas of your heart of where you need healing touch. And then we have the opportunity to give him permission to heal those areas of pain. And I have some good news, because I feel like a lot of us deal with pain on so many different levels. Um, But Jesus said in Luke 4, 18 through 19, and he's quoting Isaiah 61.1. He opens the scroll. He's in Nazareth at this point. He opens the scroll and reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. So the mission of the Father and the Son is about allowing your heart to be completely and totally healed. It's not just about kind of living a good life, quote, where we kind of have these, you know, American standards of living and we're kind of just a little bit always depressed and hopeless. It's about understanding of living from a place of true victory. And I don't have to share a bunch of statistics to convince you that we live in a broken world with broken people and a lot of broken hearts. Um, I mean, there is something to be said, though, about Taylor Swift making a bazillion dollars based on, like, heartbreak songs and depression and loneliness. And besides her amazing musicality, because I'm definitely a white girl when it comes to my pop songs, um, there's this understanding that we can really relate to the pain that happens, right? Um, There's something you're like, oh, when she's singing whatever, and you're like, yes, or like some things that you're like, that's totally not my story at all, but somehow it's my story when she sings it. Um, So (laughs) they like walks in like, no, 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 don't worry, we're good in marriage, this is just a Taylor Swift song. But, um, you know, what do we do about this brokenness? What do we do about uh, this constant pain that we deal with? Uh, it's not just kind of about experience and okay life, but it's a place to find peace and healing in immense pain. Like, that's what the Father offers. And um, I have kind of a next question of how can we allow the Lord to transform our hearts then? So we obviously indication, there's indications that we have pain, there's indications that we need to walk through some healing. What do we go through next? So how do we receive this healing? Sanctification, this process, is a daily commitment of following Jesus and being perfected in his love. That perfection is a process of becoming whole. And I'm talking about the deep issues here, the change that requires more than sheer will. My dad and his friend were having a conversation about this topic, and his friend said, any change that is not a product of a changed heart is just religion. And that really got me thinking about all the times that I try to change myself. Um, I'm like, oh, I, you know, I'm struggling with this, go to bed earlier. I'm struggling with this, make a green smoothie. Like, you know, find other things to do, talk to someone else, you know, um, wear a different outfit. Uh, but a lot of times uh, the Lord is actually leading us um, to, on a heart journey. 
And that journey takes a lot of vulnerability. So sometimes I kind of feel him leading me somewhere, and I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not the Lord or whatever. That's, you know, I just didn't sleep or whatever, which is constant in my life, but that's, you know, not it. So in that place or whatever, um, Father's leading us to a place of wholeness. And um, my dad brought it to my attention that when we want to run from pain in those places of possible shame or bondage, we have to be reminded that we live in a constant state of forgiveness and acceptance with the Father, where his son made a way for us to dwell in his grace and receive his reconciliation at all times. And this is just a refreshing, refreshing thought and reminder that uh, we have we always have access to freedom. Sometimes that freedom looks like multiple steps. Sometimes it's like the God of suddenly that just heals you. But we don't have to petition God to want to forgive us or want to love us or want to kind of be with us even when we're like really crummy. He's made a way that we might readily uh, repent and be restored and uh, readily accept this love that's been poured out and given to us. And he made a way so that we could experience freedom and address our trauma with a God whose mercies are always new and abundant. Romans 5.5 5 emphasizes this. And Paul says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So uh, my dad's words in his church and what they're trying to live out of how to kind of live this out, this understanding of this love of God that's been poured into our hearts are that when we see the Father by opening the eyes of our heart and believe in him for who he truly is and receive his love in our hearts, we can then be free and healed in our hearts and grow in wisdom and understanding and then in turn give from our hearts to other open hearts. And my parents uh, talked about that uh, when we do this, when we get healed also, um, that place of healing where we're transformed or transformed is the image of Christ. Those places are where we're made into Christ. He gives himself in that place. He takes away the hurt and pain and brokenness and gives us himself. It's an exchange where he fills us with the goodness that is God. And um, my mom's story, a little bit of this, about how she's kind of walked through this, um, she's had some pretty powerful breakthrough, specifically in the last year in what she calls the tour of her heart. And she's given me permission to kind of share a bit about this testimony. I do really want her to record this, though, and then give it to you guys, because the whole version is just really, really powerful. So more of that to come. But the context of this was that Father took her on a tour of her heart, where he was able to address trauma from her childhood and began to heal and fill those fissures with himself. Moments where she was in a hospital fighting illness at such a young age, and her parents couldn't be with her. Moments where having an alcoholic stepdad created really unsafe and unpredictable times they had to run to be safe. Those places where father toured in her heart and began to heal and fill himself are the places that she now stands in a new revelation of who the father is. And so that's why I'm so excited about them to pray over us because I'm so excited for that to be released over us. But um, another place where Father led her was from forgiveness from the heart. When the Holy Spirit comes in before an issue seems reconcilable and invites her to forgive from the perspective of the Father. Not from a place of perfect you know, empathy from the other person, but on a level of healing that guided her to a, uh, seeing the person from where Father sees them and loving them from his loving perspective. This opportunity allowed her to step into his unconditional acceptance and love from wholeness to wholehearted forgiveness. 
And there's something that's really awesome. Obviously, there's so many benefits from healthy relationship tools and counseling that seek to address conflict and places of damage. But this revelation of forgiving from your heart with the love of Father before things are actually resolved on both ends is really challenging for me because I want the right words spoken to me in order for me to forgive. I'm a words person, so I'm like, well, okay, you're sorry for, and you made me feel, and that must have then led to this. Okay, I forgive you. But from that perspective, it's not about, obviously, me hearing the right words. It's about Father actually letting me see the other person and loving him from his love, not just kind of like, oh, begrudgingly, I forgive you, whatever, you better not do it again. But it's this place of him actually healing me and allowing the other person to walk in a level of forgiveness and reconciliation that allows even deeper levels of relationship. So to kind of uh, encapsulate that, uh, when our hearts receive the love of the Father, we are able to forgive. We're able to heal and be perfected from a place of unconditional love. And uh, I'm landing the plane here, but I was listening to this sermon by Jared Boyd. It's um, a Bridgetown church sermon. They're doing a series on, or they had done a series on God and the whole person. And I just want to share some excerpts from um, some of what he said, because I feel like it's a lot of what my dad and mom's church have been going through, a lot of what Father has been kind of talking to me about, yet it has this understanding of shame as well, and what we go through when we talk about shame. So the way we heal from our shame is by watching God love us. He talks about this passive receiving. The response of letting the love of God love you and then loving God back with the love he gave you is also a part of John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. So often we're trying to love with a love that we don't yet have. And that creates problems in the relationships we have. What the Christian story is, is to let yourself be opened up and loved fully by God, and then with the love of God that has filled you, now you can love other people. So we get unstuck and healed by letting God love us and watching him love us in the most tender places of our lives. So many people are so exhausted and tired of trying to figure out what's happening on the inside and why they are not okay. There is a relinquishment that needs to happen where we say to God, I cannot fix this. Would you please come in and heal this? There is a work of participation, but there's also a part of this entire journey that's passive, and we just need to receive from God what we ourselves cannot do for ourselves. And just remembering who God is can pull us out of shame. He comes to the very place we are hiding or hiding from, and he sits there with us. He can look directly at the most vulnerable place in our soul and love us. And this is how we get healed of shame. Is to simply watch God love us in the places that are the hardest for us to look at. And in order to be present and close to God, we have to get present and close to those really hard places in ourselves. Because that's where God's waiting to meet you. And it's in those places where he's looking for you. So I'm going to invite my parents up. This is Spencer and Wendy Tang. And And just to kind of end and kind of um, do a full circle, Proverbs has a lot of wise sayings about the weight of our words and the ability we have to either speak life or death with our mouth. This theme brings to our attention uh, this look at beyond, obviously, our words and at a deeper level where our words are originating, which is the heart. 
And then there's this incredible invitation that we have to not only guard our hearts, but allow Father to heal our hearts. And thus, the main application for today is a piece of uh, practice to receive Father's love in your hearts. And out of that place, the overflow of your mouth will be springs of life. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your great, great love. Father, we just open our hearts right now to receive your love. Father, I just ask for uh, right now, Father, for your arms to go around each of your children here, that they would experience a tangible touch of your love. Thank you that your love never stops. It's always pouring down. We open our hearts to receive all that you have for us. You are so trustworthy. And thank you, Father, that you know what our hearts need and you will give it to us. Go ahead, just put your, uh, put your hands on your heart. Abba, we thank you for the invitation that Jesus gave us to come and see. The invitation you're making to us right now, an invitation to the journey of healing our broken hearts. The invitation to be free from fear, self-condemnation, and anxiety the journey to address the poverty in our heart where we have so much lacking and you have so much that you, you want to pour out. The invitation, Jesus, to come and be a part of your ohana. Come and meet my Father and my Spirit and we get to experience what you've been experiencing since eternity past. And thank you for the freedom from blindness where we don't understand, we don't have the wisdom, and we can't see the way you see. Thank you for that invitation. And each of your daughters, each of your sons, that you love so dearly, we love because you first loved us, and you've never stopped. Thank you, Abba. In your name, amen.